DHS's cybersecurity office now has a name that makes sense. We talk about what it means moving forward. In our interview, we talked to Tony Cole from Ativo Networks about what exactly it matters when it comes to deception. The cybersecurity industry is consolidating, but not before startups get their checks. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Securiosity. All right, here we are with Securiosity for Friday, November 16th. I'm Greg Otto. And I'm Jen O'Daniel. I'm excited to get started today. Let's talk about business. Lots of deals being closed. Literally, as we are taping this, there is a big deal going down, and we will get into all of it. For our interview, we talked to Tony Cole, CTO of Ativo Networks, on how deception tech has moved past just a few honeypots being open here and there. We talked to Tony about some of the developments that happened this week as well, but in order for you to understand that context, we got to tell you what happened this week. So let's get to it. So the House of Representatives unanimously passed a bill Tuesday that would give the Department of Homeland Security's National Protection and Programs Directorate a more relevant name, the CISA Act, which passed the Senate in October and now heads to President Donald Trump's desk would now brand the office as the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. The bill, sponsored by the House Homeland Security Committee Chairman Mike McCall, passed in the House in 2017. The office is responsible for securing federal networks and safeguarding critical infrastructure from cyber threats. Greg, how will this change things moving forward? Well, I think that you're going to see a lot more companies, especially on the small and medium business side, a little bit... uh, more willing to reach out to DHS? Just because of the name? Well, yeah, because well, I, I think it's a good starting point because it's like, okay, who I have a cybersecurity problem and I would probably need to get the federal government involved. Who do I need to talk to? The Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency over the National Program and Protections Directorate. I mean, right. you can ask the people that run NPPD right now. The name is kind of vague and it doesn't really say what they do. Um, uh, a big part of making sure that people are on the same page with cybersecurity is having that stepping stone to say, hey, we're the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. You should probably listen to what we say. We're experts in this, and this is what we do. It's just so interesting um, that a name matters so much. Yeah, uh, and look, there's going to be other stuff. It's not just necessarily you know scraping a sign off of a door and putting a new sign on a door. It's sort of a total reorganization from the standpoint of – how the agency is going to work. Everything's going to be a little bit more streamlined, and maybe that will help with information sharing both inside the government and outside the government. Look, anything that makes the bureaucracy work a little better, I'm for. So if this is what needed to be done, and by the looks of it, talking with Chris Krebs and Jeanette Manfra and talking to other people inside NPPD right now, they're all excited about this. They're all uh, really big proponents of it. So if they're happy about it, they deal with it on a day-to-day basis. If this really, really helped them in their job, I don't see why we wouldn't go ahead and do this. So on the centennial of the end of World War I, the French government called for peace in cyberspace through a series of norms for governments and corporations to respect. The United States has yet to announce its support for the Paris call for trust and security in cyberspace, though scores of other governments and tech giants from Google to Microsoft have. The document pledges to combat cyber-enabled election meddling and aims to keep private companies from hacking back, among other principles. Observers hope the unique nature of the Paris call will make it more impactful than other norms initiatives. Jen, are you surprised that we didn't join this? I'm not. I don't think we um, know for sure what we're going to do around hacking back. 
But I also think this just makes um, people work a little bit harder to be more convert, covert on what they're working on and how they are hacking into things. Yeah, I'm not surprised either from the standpoint of also China didn't sign this. Also, Russia wasn't right. on board. Like the big nation states when it comes to cyber espionage and nation state hacking – didn't sign on for this. Shocking that they want to be able to dictate the norms because they have the capabilities in order to wage all of this, you know, noise that they have been going through. So, I mean, look, norms are important. I think it's a bad look politically that we didn't join. I'm not surprised at all. This is, I mean, is what it is. What I think is important is I see more and more private companies starting to take the lead when it comes to norms, which I think is really interesting because throughout history, governments have really been the Mm -hmm. general groups that form the norms for the way that society behaves. And now you have companies sort of taking the lead there on how we're going to behave in this new space. I, I just find that to be very, very interesting because I wouldn't be surprised if the governments turn around and say, no, 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 we got this. They have yet to do that. So it's very interesting that Google and Microsoft and Cisco and some of the other bigger companies going, okay, if you're not going to do it, we're going to set boundaries because somebody needs to do something. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. So um, I know my office is starting to think about RSA for next year, and it looks like the keynote stages at the next year's RSA conference will look a little different. The conference set on Tuesday that is part of a broader initiative to improve diversity and inclusion. It's forbidding all male panels in its 2019 event in San Francisco. The move comes, of course, as the tech industry in general has been increasingly aware of workforce that is overwhelmingly male. RSAC's initiative also includes programs intended to amplify the voice and concerns of underrepresented groups, as well as efforts to get girls and women more deeply involved with cyber work. Greg, is this a step in the right direction? I would think so because they, you know, got a lot of flack last year for a lot of these mantles. But, I mean, <laughs> I will pose the question to you. I'm, does this look like a step in the right direction? Is this something that, you know, sparks an interest or is something innovative in your eyes for so, what the conference is doing? Yeah. So I think it's interesting. So I'm always for having the brightest, best people on panels. Um But I also think that we get a little bit lazy when we put panels together. I think it's really easy, um, you know, to find five white guys that are 40, 50 years old, um, you know, when we're putting together a cybersecurity panel or or really any kind of tech panel. I think it's a little bit harder to get diverse. And so I think sometimes the panels kind of look the same with the same people over and over again because it's easy. Right. And you can look at previous years and you can look at other conferences and quickly find panel members. Um, so I just think it's 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 a little bit lazy, and so I think this makes us work a little bit harder um, to finding good panels. Yeah, and I think that that's really important because of the diversity point that uh, the conference brings up. It's not just doing it for the sake of making it look diverse up there. You get a diverse crowd up there, and then you get a diverse set of opinions. And right. that's really what these conferences are about, hearing new ideas and looking at things through a different lens. So if you have that diverse crowd up there giving that out, that's, I mean, that's really getting at the heart of what you want to do. You're, you're going to get an angle that you didn't think of before because somebody that is a minority or somebody that is a woman is looking at it through a different lens altogether. So 
I, I, that's really important because it gets to the heart of what these conferences are supposed to be. Go, you attend these conferences, hear these panels, come away learning something new, thinking about something differently, and then ending up putting it back in your job and making it better overall. Absolutely. And I think if we just keep the same panel members over and over again, we don't learn anything new. But I also think it has another effect where it gives um, women and, and, and minorities someone to like sort of strive and look up to and you know, Absolutely. It's, it's That's another part to relate of it. that way. So I right. think we'll see more and more people get into the industry. Right. So the number of cybersecurity companies will reduce by half within five to seven years as many existing firms are acquired by larger players and others simply go out of business. According to Bill Kroll, a partner at the venture capital firm Alsub Louis Partners, who talked to us about the industry now has a thousand points of light and no illumination. It's almost like if we were talking about the automotive industry and a spark plug company advertised itself as making the best transportation service in the world. Over the last week, a number of deals have been announced or rumored to be in the works. So Jen, let's get into it because this is definitely the crux of what we're going to talk about this week. I would imagine that as a VC, this is good news for you to hear because if there's consolidation, the bigger companies are going to buy startups and you're going to get that return. Well, first I want to say that um, I'm a big fan of Bill. Um, just a lovely person um, and, and some really interesting stories um, over his career. But I will say that it's, um, I agree with him. I do think that we're going to see a big reduction in companies um, for a couple different reasons. You know, one, I think we still have, and I say this all the time, um, we have a lot of companies out there, especially in cybersecurity, that don't work um, and are also stuck because there's so much competition at, you know, sort of a certain revenue number. Um, which means they're probably not going to raise any more venture capital, so they're not going to grow organically or, or with capital infusion. Um, and so we have to see sort of a roll-up of companies um, to sort of move forward. Um, but I think what's, you know, a little bit scary is I think as a venture capitalist and I look at how much money has gone in these cybersecurity companies and what acquisitions really look like, we're still seeing that the majority of acquisitions are less than $50 million dollars. Um, and you're seeing, you know, at least that in companies. Right. So let's go back to something you said there. You said these companies don't work. What do you, what do you mean by that? Do you think that it's just their technology doesn't work or they're not working from a business perspective or just like a, a growth perspective? Like that's interesting to I mean, me. I think we've, I think we've, you know, put, you know, 20, 30 solutions that have sort of a niche, right? They're not really solving the bigger picture. They're right. not really solving much they're solving something a little bit so you have to sort of pile on you know 10 12 technologies to get somewhere and they don't always work very well together um and so i and they work a little bit differently and so they're not always the best solution um for companies and they don't necessarily install them right right um right to make them work for their for their enterprise so i think it's just um sort of interesting to watch and then as i talk to sort of system integrators with bigger companies like Raytheon and, and north of grumman who Obviously, um, you know, bid out on proposals with a lot of different solutions sort of okay. mixed in. And you'll hear all the time from them that they have to sort of fix um, the technology that they're buying okay. to sort of make it work. Um, so I just always thought that was interesting. So, you know, we were talking about the, the, the funding and the acquisitions. Plenty of that going on mm -hmm. this week. So yeah. let's get into that first. Atomics, a company that provides an automated patching service, raised $9.3 million in Series A funding led by tech operators. The Colorado-based startup helps enterprises manage and patch the various devices and programs that run on networks. And it comes with tools that give visibility into systems and allow users to automate patching. 
Then on the opposite end of the funding, Netscope <laughs> brought in a $168.7 million Series F round. The company provides security solutions for cloud and software as a service products like G Suite, Office 365, Slack, AWS, and others. Funding round was led by Lightspeed and brings Netscope's total funding to $400.1 million. So talking about a unicorn there. Uh, in the ICS space, Dragos announced a $37 million round, and perhaps more interestingly, will open an office next year in Saudi Arabia. The office is going to be in the Saudi capital of Riyadh, and it marks a major expansion for the Maryland-based startup. Uh, the decision to do business in the kingdom ultimately came down to the benefits that Dragos believes they can provide Saudi civilians and how they could uh, help the company derive more protection for protecting critical infrastructure. And then literally, as we are taping this, it has been announced that BlackBerry will acquire Silence, uh, the AI and cybersecurity big-time startup from California, $1.4 billion in cash. And BlackBerry says it's going to use Silence to help expand its QNX unit, which makes software for next-generation autonomous cars. I did not know BlackBerry was doing that. Um, like we were saying, Silence develops AI-based products to prevent cyber attacks and was recently considering filing for an IPO. Jen, let's unpack all of this. But first, <laughs> let's talk about the Dragos point a little bit. Um, opening an office in Saudi Arabia is a really, really interesting wrinkle to this, right? It really is. Um, you know, I imagine it's probably pretty unpopular um, as we look through Twitter feeds and whatnot. Um, you know, but look, if it's if it's where their business is, it's where their business is. Yeah, uh, and we talked to, there's a story on cyberscoop.com where Sean Lingus talked to uh, Rob Lee, uh, the Dragos uh, co-founder, um, and, you know, there was a, Apparently, a lot of internal discussion sure about was. how they were going to handle this with the Khashoggi killing. And even that aside, because obviously, if you're planning to do this, it was months before him, before yeah. there was any sort of noise about uh, the killing. But also, they're just an authoritarian government mm -hmm. overall. So what are you going to do with your female employees? Are you going to send them over there? Or is is the Saudi government going to come down on top of that? There's that wrinkle to it. There's also the wrinkle of, okay, if you're going to go over there, do you extend your attack surface? Because you are, you know, now you're right in the middle of it. And that's not a very friendly area when it comes to ICS and the right. power grid. Uh, there's the Trisis attack, and Dragos was uh, instrumental in figuring out just exactly how that came about. So they already have a target on them, and now the target gets bigger too. So there's, there's a gamble there, and I think it's really, really interesting that they decided – to go ahead and do that. I don't know that they're necessarily going to get any sort of blowback from it, but uh, it's definitely a leap. I mean, clearly um, the money's there, right? And that's, at the end of the day, that's what matters. So it matters to your well, shareholders. Right, it's not necessarily the money too, as much as it is the work. <laughs> like there, there are there are some, uh, like like we were saying with uh, Trisis, there is some high powered malware geared toward yeah. Um, industrial control systems out there. So you, you got to stick your neck out and go find the stuff where it's actually happening so you can study it and make sure that the rest of the world is on the lookout for it. So um, no, that that it's a It'll really, really, really yeah. interesting uh, development there um, that 
they're having. Um, but yeah, this BlackBerry deal, uh, there's been rumors about it for the past like week and a half. I, I really think it's interesting that, well, one, and I'm, I'm sure the haters are going to jump into my mentions like they did already when I talked <laughs> about it, that I did not know that BlackBerry had $1.4 billion in cash to buy a company like this and just point it toward a, a niche that they're working on uh, with the autonomous cars part of it. Like, yeah, I feel like BlackBerry has been kind of silent for a lot of years. And maybe it's because I don't have a BlackBerry anymore. I don't know. Right. But I know that – so BlackBerry has sort of pivoted away from hardware overall yes. and has been yeah. geared toward more of a security software company overall, which – Cool. If that's the way that you want to run your business, of, yeah. right? Yeah, not not who you think of, but look, hey, companies pivot all the time. I just I find it really interesting that again, this software is going to be used for next generation autonomous cars. I didn't even know BlackBerry was focused on transportation security. So that's I mean, it's kind of okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah maybe cool. we'll move it forward. But um, so. The Netscope thing overall, this looks like a unicorn, right? We have our uh, cybersecurity unicorn out here, right? I mean, we do, right? So, I mean, look, $400 million in, in funding means that there's very few people that are going to be able to acquire this company in the future. So it probably has to go the direction of an IPO at some point. Right. And that is really interesting. Uh, you know, you look at companies like Netscope, and we've seen other companies IPO this year. I think uh, Zscaler, I believe Zscaler does something similar to what Netscope is advertising here right. that they do as well. And their stock price, I think, has done pretty well over year to date. Uh, it's it's kind of picked up a little bit. It's around $40 right now. And I think that they IPO'd somewhere around like 27 or something like that. I could be wrong on that. Anyway, all I know is it's gone up. So it's really, yeah. really interesting that the market is understanding that, okay, all of these companies are moving to the cloud. It needs to be protected. Let's go find the products that do that and invest in them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think Atomics is probably the most interesting one. You know, again, a Series A is always interesting. Um, I don't know if tech operators has, has been in the cyberspace before as far as funding. Um, you know, certainly the trend is more and more investors are coming into cybersecurity. It's increasing the numbers, um, you know, but patches are something that just aren't getting to. And that, yeah, you know, right. I was going to say, I'm not familiar with Atomics or, or their product at all, but from a patch automation standpoint, we hear it all the time that that is basic cyber hygiene, patch, patch, patch. Right. And anything and that can make skipped. that easy as possible, uh, that sounds like a good product yeah. to me. And just looking at their website, it looks like it's a really easy install and, and, and patch service. So kind of interesting. Cool. We'll be on the lookout. So now to our interview with Tony Cole. Uh, Tony works with Ativo Networks. He's the CTO of Ativo Networks. And Ativo does a lot with deception tech. And basically what we're getting after there is honeypots. So we talk a little bit about how his company has matured the way that enterprises can use honeypots. And we also talk to Tony about some of the news that we just talked about. So check it out. Okay, joining us Today is Tony Cole, the CTO of Ativo Networks. Tony, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Greg. I'm happy to be here. So Ativo Networks, let's talk about the company a little bit. I know they do a lot with deception tech. So talk to us about deception and how it fits into the security apparatus. 
Uh, well, thank you, Greg. It's it's really interesting, you know, for many millennia, many many millennia, deception has been an integral component. So of um, military winning wars, so around the globe. So, and yet for some reason we haven't taken many of those lessons in the physical world and applied them to the cyber realm. Even though every CISA will tell you continuously they're under attack. So it's an interesting space and one that uh, we've started to reshape, you know, with a, a deception platform and changing the uh, the table up on uh, on the adversaries. So we're removing the advantage the adversary has of 24 by 7, 365, you're trying to defend and they need to find one chink in the armor. Instead, we're giving you home field advantage where we're changing up the playing field on a significant basis. So how does deception help track attackers and how they move? So it's really interesting. Back in 1998, Lance Spitzner started the HoneyNet project. So, and they were working on actually doing a lot of research, creating honeypots and honey nets around the globe, and literally had thousands of people participate over a very long period of time. In fact, uh, they're coming up now. Yeah, this this uh, spring they have their 20th anniversary conference. I think it's in Austria this year. So it's a, it's a global effort, and I was involved with that. I was still at the Pentagon. I brought honeypots into the Pentagon. Uh, fought with a lot of lawyers over it back then. And today, you know, technology has changed a lot in the last 20 years where we have an extensible framework that actually allows us to layer deceptive components across a production enterprise. Uh, Deceptive credentials, configuration files, uh, breadcrumbs and lures, even decoy docs across entire production that can take any adversary that finds any of these pieces, they're very alluring uh, deceptive pieces we lay there, and it would take them into, off the production system, our bot sync environment. So that are imported gold images on the server and decoy side. So from the enterprise, doesn't matter if it's uh, SCADA devices, we make decoys out of those, IoT devices, or even endpoints. But it takes that adversary off of the production and into an environment where literally the cyber defender now has a playing field to entertain the adversary, which just makes it a lot of fun. We're doing things really, really different. So deception, to answer your question, is really a component for enabling detection very quickly to shrink dwell times inside that space. So when we're talking about honeypots, and let's say that, well, okay, because I am new to this. So uh, I'm new to this, and I'm trying to set up a honeypot. Is it just one or two traps laid within my network? Or, like, talk to me a little bit about what goes into setting up honeypots in an enterprise network. Like, how many landmines are you laying in order to trip up an attacker? Yeah, great question. So, you know, in the past, it was very difficult to do. It's one reason that uh, honeypots and honey nets didn't take off as an enterprise play, you know, across someone's environment. And today, the framework has changed. You know, we've got virtualization at, at scale. We've got cloud providers. So we build out a structure today, you know, that will allow you to very quickly deploy this system you know, in its entirety inside your environment and mimic your real enterprise because authenticity is key, of course, so an adversary doesn't look at it and say, well, I'm not interested in that. I, I know this is a medical company. You know, why in the world do they have, you know, uh, uh, SCADA assets that are unrelated to that? So you want to mimic that environment across the board. So literally to deploy something like this, you can plug it. If you took an appliance versus our, our cloud structure, you can plug it into a trunk port. It'll listen across VLANs, learn all the different types of 
of environment you have and then suggest a deployment back to you. You can accept that deployment, click and deploy, or you can actually incorporate your gold images. So you can dive as deep as you want to entertain the adversary. So uh, by making it more complex and modifying gold images in there to actually make something look like it's really the head of engineering's box, where here's an admin and you don't want that one near as, you know, uh, not as much effort on that gold image. So you really can play as much as you want. Today we see some companies doing honeypots already, So, but what they've found is it's very difficult to maintain them, it's very difficult to control them, and it's difficult to actually pull data back. So we built a structure that integrates with their existing investments. So for instance, uh, you know, Carbon Black, uh, Cisco, uh, Palo Alto, McAfee, it doesn't matter. Whatever you have for your existing environment, we can actually provide triggers and intelligence to all of those pieces. So we're not changing up your processes and your policies. This is another detection means to shrink that massive amount of dwell time that we know still is a massive problem. So with all of these devices that are sitting on enterprise networks and the way that everybody is moving to the cloud, uh, and then you have containers and serverless computing, you know, it's it's kind of just pushing network boundaries and, and it's it's different it's it's not as simple as it once was we're breaking so, network boundaries right right so how do we keep devices safe when they are outnumbering the amount of people that are in a security apparatus like how does ativo help sort of solve that problem so we've tracked, we've got a very large customer base in the Fortune 500, and we've tracked where they're going and actually kept our development along that pace. So for instance, today we have like government organizations that will buy an appliance, some organizations that don't want cloud that buy an appliance, others want our virtualization capabilities, and others will take, you know, take it uh, via the cloud, AWS, Azure, Oracle, doesn't matter, we support the vast majority of them. What we've done recently at the beginning of this year is we've also added capabilities so for serverless environments, deception for serverless environments, deception for containers, and we're continuing down that path with a really, really uh, robust roadmap to actually provide new capabilities as CIOs and CISOs you know, migrate and evolve their uh, environment too. So as we see more and more pieces laid out there, we simply mimic that environment so as a whole across there. Because as you stated, IoT is, is going to be one that's going to be a massive issue for us. And as we add 5G into that, you know, the security issues we suffer from today are going to get much worse. So we're tracking that as well to ensure that you, know, you can layer you know, through a virtualized environment a very large swath of really mines, landmines, so across the enterprise. So when an adversary breaks in, you immediately get an alert. And if an adversary leaves and comes back, so with just a couple of flips on the keyboard, you can actually respawn that environment and it looks totally different. So we're literally giving them home field advantage by changing this stuff up. It just makes a lot of fun. In fact, that's my favorite comment from a CISO. So is, wow, you guys come at this so differently. Great. So I want to back up to something that you talked about. You said with the advent of 5G, it's going to add another layer of complexity to securing things. Can we unpack why? Because I, I, I'm interested to know why a, a faster wireless network would necessarily cause new threats. So you think about the challenges we have today and how people are interconnecting things across the globe. Uh, and I mean, things that, that we generally in the past never thought you know we needed connected. So, and I think you and I have talked about in the past, CES two years ago rolled out the first connected toaster. So it's why, and there's a great, great commercial from an insurance company on, you know, uh, trash can, you know, tell the fridge to get me the weather, or something like that. Okay. But it's, the, the problem is continuing. And the challenge we have 
working with incubators and accelerators around the globe. So outside of the security space, they're all trying to create the next type of device or application that can actually get good market penetration to make them rich. So outside again of the security, you know, incubators and accelerators, security is not a consideration for them still, even in this day and age. And many of the 5G companies now are working on providing very low cost, so 5G chips. It's the only way 5G is going to be successful and to connect everything is to make that low cost, so for the connectivity piece. So imagine IoT devices embedded in everything and many of those communicating directly to the internet, so as part of your enterprise and you're responsible for security. So we have to evolve and think out of the box if we're going to have solutions that are going to solve these problems for us that are just getting started today. I think it was IDC that said it said just on the IoT side, 2018 they expect expenditures of 750 something billion dollars. So I mean the problem is just getting started. Wow. Add 5G to that with those systems directly connecting, that's a massive issue. So how does deception fit into the idea of resiliency? Yeah, so if you think about your structure today, you know, part of the challenge we have are many of the breaches that take place, so are very long-lasting breaches, and the adversaries are bringing to the table uh, whatever level of sophistication needed for their exploits so to accomplish their goals. So we're raising the bar and putting a lot more hurdles in front of them so that we can quickly identify that breach so, and mitigate the impact. I'll give you an example. Uh, we actually had a, one of our customers, and our customers are awesome because they're the ones showing us new use cases we hadn't thought of for the product set. But uh, one that actually uh, had a ransomware attack. So, and as soon as it touched one of our, our uh, decoys inside our bot sync system, so they immediately engaged and started entertaining the adversary. They shrunk the bandwidth down on them. They never let that endpoint encrypt completely because they just kept feeding a PST file in there that never ended so they could never finish encryption on it. In the meantime, they studied their, their tactics across the board so and shut them down. So my point is they had a patient zero that died on the enterprise, but it doesn't matter. It was a decoy that they just respawned when they were done, but it had no impact across their environment. So it's like a burglar actually setting off the alarm at your house and then running away scared. <laughs> so no impact. So and that's that's some of the things that we're finding that that helps in that resilient side because you know we can quickly identify those breaches and that actually helps mitigate the impact or at least it minimizes the impact. So Tony, you keep your ear to the ground when we talk about cybersecurity and cybersecurity policy. I want to get your thoughts on some of the news this week, particularly uh, with the accord that was signed as part of the 100th anniversary of World War One, France is pushing this accord to basically set norms and boundaries when it comes to um, cyber attacks. So there were the countries and there were the top level companies that signed on to it, but the U.S. as a government didn't sign on, Russia as a government didn't sign on, China as a government didn't sign on. I'd, I'd love to get your reaction on that and whether you think that these packs, because this is not the first one that we've seen before, whether these packs uh, make any sort of difference in the world of cyber espionage and cyber attacks? Uh, I would say they, they do make a difference. They, they have a positive impact, but it's a minimal impact. Um, and when you, you know, you pull that onion or you start peeling that onion and, and look a little deeper into it, you know, you take the first agreement between Obama and Xi, so they sign where no company would do compromises on another company, country's companies, so to give them an advantage in the global economy. It was a great agreement. So, but what no one defined in there is where is that line drawn? 
So and by that I mean let's take so here is Department of Defense they give a new submarine contract to a large defense integrator and that defense integrator by the way may have 10,000 different subcontractors so scattered across the uh, the environment that are providing parts to them. So where is that line you know where you know they can't compromise these companies that are providing information for that integrator so across the board that's never been defined and there's been a lot of conversations about this so if you steal something from one of them that also happens to be parts going into that that product set you know is that you know breaking the agreement so I think as we do more agreements like this all it's going to do is it's going to make more of these uh, countries be stealthier and quieter in their attacks and more subtle and uh, less brazen and noisy and that's exactly what we saw out of that first agreement that I just mentioned so you know instead of the PLA doing attacks most of us suspected they went more quiet and shifted over and even shifted people potentially to the Ministry of State Security so which we're doing much more stealthy things and I think you'll see the same from this so I think it's good and I think it's a good stepping stone for us, but it's going to take a tremendous effort from law enforcement here, so law enforcement Interpol, Europol, and many others around the globe to actually help do prosecutions where we can before we actually stop some of this activity. And the last piece I'll add to that is it's also going to be a problem for a long period of time where there is organized crime and third parties that are uh, hacking, so for monetary benefit to actually line the pockets of countries such as North Korea and maybe potentially in Russia, you know, the uh, government officials on the side. That's another big issue that's going to slow this and be big hurdles for us to get over. So talk to me about the private company angle with this too because I was talking to Cisco because Cisco signed on to this as well. I know Microsoft has been very, very vocal about this. It seems like the private companies are taking a lot more initiative when it comes to setting these norms than countries are. I find that to be pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. And, and if you look at many of the organizations that exist today, even for information sharing, they're driven by private companies, the Global Cyber Alliance, Cyber Threat Alliance, many of these, it's, you know, uh, private companies that have driven this. Uh, even the Center for Internet Security, you know, gets backing from a lot of, uh, you know, private companies trying to solve some of these challenges, you know, across the globe. So I think, you know, private companies can help. If you look at size of Facebook, Google, you know, uh, any of the FANG stocks that exist today and the, the impact they can have if they sign on to agreements like this can actually help push governments, you know, to make some of these changes. It'd be great to see Kaspersky jump on board. Uh, Trend and others jump on board from different regions around the globe that could potentially help have an impact. Uh, I do think, though, again, it's going to be a long road for us with lots of hurdles, and this problem has uh, no end in sight, at least for the next 25, 30 years. People keep talking about AI is going to solve all these problems, and it just makes me laugh because everything yeah, we I'm built not, gets I'm used with you there. That's, yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah, it gets used against us as well. So we've been talking a lot about hacking back on this podcast. Um, can you talk about where you stand on it and whether you think the government um, should allow it? Well, one, you know, thanks for bringing that one up because uh, I will tell you that uh, I just did a panel earlier this week at the FSISAC Fall Summit in Chicago, Active Defense. And uh, one of the things that I, I jumped on the uh, soapbox right away about is, you know, defining it clearly what active defense is and the fact that it does not include hacking back. I don't advocate for it. I think it's a terrible idea. You know, I think uh, active defense is a really good idea. Uh, in fact, there was a great seminal paper uh, George Washington University Center for Cybersecurity did okay. in 2016 that most people, for some reason, fell on deaf ears. And 
had a few notables like Admiral Blair, Michael Chertoff, leads some of the groups, and it's a great paper. But it talked specifically about how that's a much riskier piece hacking back is versus some of the other components. And by the way, deception is a component of active defense. Can you define the difference between the two? Uh, certainly. So active defense is actually a, a really good spot where you're being less passive, focused on preventative stuff, and you're being more active on your defense side for, you know, uh, your defense side, so to enable detection inside your environment. So you're doing uh, uh, deception is a component, denial and deception. So you're changing up the playing environment that you're in. You're doing uh, tar pits, some people are doing, beaconing, some are doing. And that goes right up a scale all the way up to the much more high risk things where you're doing external beaconing. And to give you an example, uh, I create potentially at my company a decoy dock. That decoy dock gets opened. So inside that environment where it's not supposed to be and it will beacon back. So inside your environment to tell you, you know, that somebody has opened a document that was on a decoy server that they should have never touched. So that's, you know, a big alert. So where it gets a little bit more into the gray is one that is actually sent out. So, you know, that they, the adversary stolen and it's opened on another system. And people can go in with uh, some systems they call die packs, just like, you know, we have for uh, bank robberies where they open that document and it could be destructive in nature and actually mess up the adversary system. But the point is, you know, that's high risk because what if that system the adversary opened on it was, uh, you know, Joe Snuffy dry cleaner that he had compromised, you know, a year ago and using that as a hopping point coming in. So, so that's, you know, uh, much more high risk when you look at active defense and, and problematic, and then you add the hacking back piece in. Uh, we like to completely exclude that from active defense in the, uh, in the definition, and I think really important because it's just a really bad idea unless you're a government agency with authorization from Congress to actually uh, do that under, you know, new laws that uh, primarily don't exist today. For companies to do it, who is going to actually judge the level of expertise those organizations have and that it's continuous as well as, you know, how do you actually do that to ensure that you're not crossing any uh, uh, international boundaries? So, which becomes very problematic because you may be within laws, if the law was changed here in the U.S., you could be within laws of the United States, and then you bounce into a server in Canada and didn't know you were in Canada, and now you've actually broken international law, and we do have an extradition treaty, so suddenly somebody's trying to get you extradited under something you did in Canada, even Not though it's legal here. Yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a big, big problem, and I think it's a really, really bad idea for companies to even consider hacking back. So the best thing any company can do when they're compromised, so have an existing relationship, if you don't, build it quickly with law enforcement, general counsel, and understand the rules as well as with certs out there that can assist you, you know, to get the problems resolved. You mentioned the conference you were at. What was the most interesting um, conversation you were a part of? Uh, we talked about two of them, FSI SAC or the Aspen <laughs> one. We'll, we'll, okay, so we'll, let's do both because I think both conferences yeah. are very important. Let's start with the FSI SAC one. Yeah, FSI SAC one, uh, very interesting. You know, um, I was very interested looking at uh, what percentage of the audience, and we did a very interactive panel, so we're actually doing some form of deception. And, and I was surprised that a lot of them are running honeypots, and they're trying to do it manually and having some challenges with it. But many of them are aware of, of, 
of active defense, so which is really nice to see. Because again, FSISAC, so it's all, I think, 7,500 organizations around the globe now today. They're a massive target because of the assets they actually have. So, and they're much more mature than most organizations out there today. So because they know, you know, the risks of their environment, they have a risk management, a very robust risk management organization, most of them. So it's very interesting to see that. And it was also interesting to see uh, some of the things uh, that they're actually looking for. So across the board, for instance, some companies now are starting to provide uh, deceptive email solutions. So here's a spam email that comes in, it goes through a service, So and this uh, email actually is responded to by this company, so it actually engages the adversary. Wow, okay. So, yep, and provides that information to the FSI SAC if allowed, as well as, you know, the uh, of course, the company that was impacted, as well as to law enforcement so they can engage and take down these adversaries. Some really cool reporting on that taking place out there. And the active defense side now, you know, very engaged, very interested in deception. So, you know, taking home field advantage back. Right. And so you were also at the Aspen Policy Conference in San Francisco and said that you heard a lot of interesting stuff out there. Yeah, really, really good discussions out there. One, uh, I was really happy to see uh, the papers that Aspen, you know, just put out. They're trying to actually drive a lot of awareness across the board. Uh, they did a report, so on uh, uh, the shortages in cybersecurity expertise. So good paper on that, uh, as well as a number of other ones. Some great discussions, so from a panel on the five eyes, which is really interesting. It's not often you see a public five eyes panel. Right. It'll actually take place in cybersecurity at a public conference. So that was very interesting, talking about joint efforts underway between the, the five English-speaking nations for your audience members that may not know the term five eyes. So, but in uh, trying to actually solve some of these problems. So, and they touched on cyber norms. So the five eyes also trying to actually help drive us towards cyber norms. And then uh, Rob Joyce, uh, you know, uh, made some really good comments when he was up there on a panel as well on a, uh, a number of different things. And I think uh, CyberScoop actually reported on one of those. I was trying to trying to remember the comment, and I can't remember. It was very interesting. Yeah, uh, and Rob always says a bunch of interesting stuff. We had him on stage <laughs> at CyberTalks, and uh, Rob Rob's great. He always is. It, it's always good to see. I, I find it very refreshing that uh, a top-level NSA person gets out in public as much as possible because <laughs> anybody out there is well aware of NSA's standing in, yeah. in the world so it's it's good to be out there and see them engaged least, yes at least trying to be as transparent as possible I mean they're never going to be fully transparent that would be <laughs> that, that's a failure on their part but it's a, a good thing to see Rob out there trying to be as transparent as possible I would say the one other piece is they did security roundtables, so at lunch, and I could only join one of them. Okay. So, but uh, I went to Accenture's uh, roundtable on hardware supply chain assurance. So, and of course, software came into that as well. But really, really good discussion around some of the challenges we have. You know, discussions on you know, uh, should these Chinese companies be banned? Should they not be banned? And there's been some uh, great conversations on Twitter since then around this as well. It's a, it's an interesting space. You know, um, and I think it's a lot of challenges for us, you know, where we're, we're trying to actually ensure that things are, are properly vetted. You know, your system sitting in here, you know, where were they manufactured? You know, what's the assurance that the firmware was never modified or any hardware modified? So, and nothing beaconing back. Definitely after the, uh, the super micro scare, you know, from, uh, right. from the Bloomberg article.
so I think there's a lot of good discussions on that as well. They're getting people thinking again, you know, where's my stuff manufactured and how am I, how am I assured when I get this that what I ordered is what I have and nothing more. So when we do these interviews, we'd like to end with one random question. Thanksgiving's coming up. What's your favorite Thanksgiving side dish? Oh, uh, <laughs> that's a great one. It's got to be mashed potatoes with gravy on them. Has All to right. be. My wife's homemade gravy. Standard. Standard. Yeah, standard. Pretty good. Can't go wrong. <laughs> yep. Can't go that's wrong. That's it. Well, okay, Tony, appreciate you joining us. Thanks for your insight, and we'll talk to you in the future. All right. Thank you both very much. Appreciate it. It was fun. Okay. Thank you to Tony for joining us. Jen, I'm geared up for Thanksgiving now. Oh, yeah? What, what's your favorite dish? Um, I actually, oh man, we could go off on a tangent oh, here. No. Like Thanksgiving over, I'm um, really traditional. I keep it turkey, mac and cheese, mac mashed and cheese. potatoes. That's uh, not traditional. Well, so, but uh, I will say, I guess it's not traditional. Those are the only things that I like. I think Thanksgiving food is widely overrated. There, I said it. So I shouldn't bring a green bean casserole. No. Oh my God. No, absolutely not. Hard pass. I'm sorry. No. I, I'm all about the dessert, I will say. Okay. Uh, let, let, let's get the cheesecake. Let's get the pecan pie. Let's get the pumpkin pie. Let's get that going. Um, but as far it's as like... the pumpkin pie was like third on your list. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but back to like corn souffles oh, and no. cream spinach and yeah. cranberry sauce. Well, the thing is to me, when would you eat this otherwise at any other time of the year? Oh, I once um, ate someone's mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving and instead of making it with like milk and butter they made it with sugar and eggnog and that sounds really, disgusting it really was and i really sorry if you're listening this to this is, and, and i was at your house but this is exactly my point <laughs> like tough. what are we doing what are we doing like keep it simple make the good yes, stuff yeah and then get through dinner and dessert. get their desserts so okay and with that we hope you all have a nice holiday we will be off next week enjoying all of those desserts and i will be staying away from all of the weird side dishes that everybody <laughs> likes but everybody have a good week and we'll be back the week after that and as always stay curious